business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It is exa- Sorry, it's exactly 10 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And today we're going to be discussing the age-old quandary that businesses had, and that's technology going forward. Since we can remember going back, people have always been worried that the advancement in technology is going to make people redundant. It is definitely a tool that helps to make life a lot easier, a lot more efficient. The Industrial Revolution was based on it that employed lots of people. But as time went by, a lot of the work that was done by people was now done by machinery. And what happened is that the people that were employed were no longer able to do their job without being skilled. So you had to have more skilled people in order to do the job. If we put it into a South African context, the biggest challenge that South Africa has is the revolution that's happening in the mining sector. All of a sudden, if South Africa wants to compare itself to the mining giants of the world today, countries like Australia, our numbers of employment are way higher than that of Australia. But yet, yet, if you take the average salary and you take prosperity across the board, Australian miners earn far more than South African miners. And the bottom line is that they're far more skilled, they carry a lot more responsibility, and they manage equipment that is hugely more advanced than the equipment that we have. And the reason for that is, is that they are looking to be as efficient as possible. The challenge South Africa has is that together with efficiency, we need to create employment. And the mining sector is one of the biggest employers in the country. So it's that balance that comes into play. But then we go a step further. All of a sudden, we've got AI that is coming to the equation. That's artificial intelligence. That stuff that is starting to come into every day of our life. When we first, for example, saw it coming into motor vehicles, it was absolutely amazing. Only high-end vehicles had it. You had to pay extra for it. Today, you won't buy a standard entry vehicle, level vehicle, that doesn't have certain pieces of technology that we took for granted um, that would only be in high-end vehicles maybe five or six years ago. But then technology has also gone backwards because on our cell phone, we have replaced so much technology that you could have in a car that we no longer want it in our car. We only want it on our cell phone because it's so much more efficient. It's the tool that's always, it's become another appendage, another part of our body, and we prefer to work that way. So that was my introduction. But now to hear from the expert, Dr. Laura Fisher, who's the head of the Institutional Advancement College at Boston. Dr. Laura Fisher, welcome to Chai FM. Uh, thank you, um, and welcome to your listeners to this really, really interesting conversation. So tell me, did I say everything right in the intro? <laughs> uh, you know, you, you raised some really, really interesting facts. I think particularly um, for us in South Africa, this is a real kind of front of mind issue. 
Um, there is a rapid growth in the technology sector and there's rapid advancements being made in artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics. And so, as you say, many traditional jobs are at risk of being replaced by automation. Um, and this trend is expected to continue. And I think that what you said about, um, South Africans in particular needing to continuously upskill and reskill themselves to remain competitive in the job market is probably more important than ever before. Um, when I read the World Economic Forum report uh, that came out, I think about 10 days ago now, um, they said that around 4.5 million jobs in South Africa are at risk of being replaced by technology. Um, however, there is good news because, just as you said, while those jobs are going to be replaced, that also allows for new work to evolve to replace jobs that previously that were done by humans that are now being automated. But there's actually incredible and expanding potential and opportunity. But really, I think our battle as South Africans is how do we adapt uh, to this kind of new world that we're going into and how do we ensure that we're prioritizing and giving opportunity to all for continuous learning and adaptation. You know, South Africa is also in the unique spot that as sad as it is that so many years, so many generations after democracy, our education system hasn't really kept up. And young children going to schools in rural areas are really not getting what they deserve. But the bottom line is we do have a functional educational system. We do have a functional education department and kids are being educated, albeit maybe not to the level that they should be across the board. So we we do have a way of almost keeping up to date with evolving um, evolution, so to speak, of the education. How do we see that being put into syllabi going forward? Sure. I mean, that's a really big question. And I think that in some senses, um, the COVID pandemic forced education to think about this more critically than uh, maybe it would have otherwise done in an organic fashion. Because all of a sudden, when we went into lockdown, um, we were having to ask ourselves in the education space, how do we actually continue to educate, leveraging the affordances of technology um, but also ensuring that we don't uh, compromise on the robustness of our academic curriculum, both in the basic education space and in the higher education space. And I think um, some schools did it better than others and some universities did it better than others. But in terms of integrating AI into our education and into our syllabi, I think there's almost a kind of natural integration that is taking place in the sense that kids are more and more tech savvy. Um, you know, this alpha generation that we are raising right now, they know far more about cell phones and technology and about social networking and streaming services uh, than I would have ever dreamt of knowing at that age. So I think there's a natural integration, but then there's also got to be not just the natural integration, there's got to be the preemptive integration And that is when we look at what are the skill sets we're sitting with 
And how are we going to offer opportunity to South Africans, whether you're old, whether you're young, whatever racial demographic you come from, wherever you come from, do you have access to upskilling and retraining? And I, I think Boston City Campus was quite proud to be awarded CompTIA's Partner of the Year um, a couple of weeks back. And, you know, CompTIA is just one example of a continuous education opportunity that focuses on emerging technologies, introducing students of all ages to these fundamental concepts and principles of AI, including data analysis, machine learning, and natural language processing. And this kind of foundational knowledge builds a solid base upon which we can then grow more meaningfully into the space and ensure that our syllabi really is keeping up with how rapidly this evolution is taking place right in front of our eyes. I just wanted to say one thing. Um, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the introduction that um, these cell phones are like an extra appendage. And I think that uh, as AI has progressed, that one of the most critical points that I really feel passionate about getting across is just to remember that um, it is a tool in our hands. We are not a tool in its hands. It, uh, it's not a sentient being. It doesn't empathize. It's not compassionate. It can't handwrite. Um, and so there's some elements of us as humans that are very, very precious and should never be taken for granted. And we must remember that while AI is artificial intelligence, if we think about it as the amplification of intelligence and we use the tools that have been put into our hands to really progress ourselves, then we actually sit with an incredible opportunity where we can harness the potential of technology to solve real problems and eliminate the mundane, essentially. Laura, I couldn't agree with you more. I've got a very interesting story of, about that coming up afterwards. But as you see, we need to take a break. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9. And on the line of these, Dr. Laura Fisher. Dr. Laura Fisher, the head of institutional advancement at Boston. Laura, you said something absolutely fundamental and brilliant just before the break. And if I can summarize you were saying that the cell phone, the technology has got to be the advancement of education, the advancement of assisting us, not replacing and not getting in the way. There's, there's an old Jewish story that goes that, you know, somewhere along the lines where a particular chap went to the rabbi and he was having problems with controlling his thoughts. You know, maybe in the old days people worried about those things, not like today where Got to embrace every nonsense that enters your head. And the Rama said to him, oh, I know what you should do. You should go and visit this and this person in this and this town, and he'll be able to assist you. So the chap, without further ado, packed up his few meager belongings and uh, got on the road and, you know, by foot walked to the guy's house. And he got there just as night was setting a few days later. It was bitterly, bitterly cold as a European winter could be. And he saw a light on and he was so excited and he knocked on the door and there was no answer. And then he peered through the window and he could see the man sitting there poring over the books that he was looking and reading and learning and he didn't answer. And this went on the whole night. 
He knocked on the window. He knocked on the door. He yelled. Eventually, as dawn broke and the guy's about to freeze to death, the man opens the door. He welcomes him in, gives him something hot to drink, makes him welcome. And the visitor is totally perplexed. And he says to the guy, but I've been here for the last 10 hours fighting with you to open up the door. Why didn't you open the door? Did you not hear me? So the guy says, I did hear you. She says, so why didn't you open the door? She says, because it's my prerogative whether I want to open the door or not. I heard you knocking. You were irritating. You were persistent. But I didn't want to open the door. And then the man understood the lesson. That, yes, there's constant invasion of our private space. There's constant thoughts that come in to derail us and change us. But we need to have the strength of character to say they're there. I hear them. Sometimes I see them. But I don't need to become persuaded by them. I need to work on myself in order to do that. I think it applies for a person, for a parent, a child, a student, in business, interaction during the day. That person who cuts you off, are you going to allow that person to ruin your whole day? Are you going to hoot like a lunatic and create a scene? Or are you going to just brush it off? Those are the type of things. And I think similarly with technology. Just because the cell phone rings doesn't mean you need to leave the supper table. Doesn't mean you need to interrupt your prayer. Doesn't mean that your spouse is talking to you now has to wait because you're checking your phone as to what's coming in. Have I sort of summarized it on the vein that you were going along? <laughs> well, my sons would tell you that, that you're speaking my language. Um, because I believe that devices are very aptly named. Because they are divisive. Um, and so I absolutely agree with you. We are not beholden to this technology. Um, we can use the technology to uh, augment and to amplify our intelligence as we choose to do so. And we created it. It cannot do, it can do only to the extent that we have programmed it to do. And yes, there is some iterative learning that goes on. But we're still in control of this. It's not in control of us. So my view is to either glorify it or to demonize it is actually the incorrect perspective, but rather to position it as an opportunity and an expanding opportunity that exists for us as humans to find more meaning and more purpose and to collectively uh, leverage what's out there to really um, assist ourselves in the tasks that we need assistance with. But equally as so, if we do not need them, then we do not need them. End of story. They don't, you know, sci-fi uh, sci hasn't done us many favors in predicting all of the takeovers of the robotic era um, and the wiping out of humanity. You know, that that is that is science fiction. Um what we're living with is we're living with a very clever system that has learned an immense amount of language processing mechanisms. And it really gives us an opportunity to do our jobs more efficiently, to become more automated, and to scale ideas, and often ideas that are actually going to benefit the collective. Um, so we do need to remember that. I would agree with you that that is a – I stand with you in your, in your position. 
Laura, let's let's look at the positive side of it. At the end of the day, AI is absolutely phenomenal in so many ways. Yeah. Um, I'll just take the little car that I drive here. If I'm at the robot and I'm not on my phone, but I'm not concentrating, it'll tell me in the car in front of me has moved and I don't need to wait for the chap behind me to hoot to remind me. Little things like that that come into it that just make life so much easier. Yeah. The challenge we have is the, the the fear that people who have worked so hard to upskill themselves to a certain level are now constantly facing an ever-changing um, environment. I know in my practice, the one expression that I use with my staff all the time is that the one certainty we have is change. And if we're not able to adapt and to change, you need to get out. But the moment you understand that that's what's happening, all that it is, it's a challenge that comes along from time to time and you grapple with it. What would your advice to be to people who are middle-aged who are really starting to feel threatened by this mm. constant change? So, I mean, I think for me, I feel like we're living in truly exciting times where technology is advancing at an unprecedented pace. And I think that we have to bravely enter this new world um, with the acknowledgement that um, the amplification of intelligence is an emerging and dominant force that has the potential to really transform industries and create new growth opportunities. In the same report I referred to earlier, Globally, it's estimated that 75 million jobs uh, could be displaced by technology. However, the report actually emphasized that the shift towards automation will create new job opportunities, and the estimated job opportunities are 133 million new roles being created globally. So one of the most important things that we can do, I think, in this era is not to live in fear, um, but to live in hope and to live with positivity and to really um, look at how do we adapt ourselves to this ever-changing landscape of AI. Because those who are able to embrace it and harness its power will have a considerable advantage over those who resist or ignore it. So we must recognize that AI is disrupting and transforming industries, but we need to adapt to stay relevant and competitive into the future. And you played Boston's adverts just short, just out, during the break. And, I mean, that's just one example of many universities that are saying, come on board, like, come and get yourself upskilled. We want to empower you towards success. You can do this online because AI is making that possible. Um, but there is really an opportunity here that Boston's offering and that other universities are offering, that a partner like CompTIA is offering. And we must recognize that, um, you know, we, we, we really have immense potential for AI to create new opportunities for growth. So we must explore this potential to improve efficiency, productivity and innovation whilst also being mindful of the ethical implications and the responsible use of AI so that we can ensure that we are creating a better future for all of us together where we actually coexist harmoniously. And we can't let fear um, rule us. We mustn't fear the change, but rather we must let that feeling inside of us 
lead the way towards something that is bigger and brighter and more hopeful. Because for the first time ever, we're able to roll out on scale massive interventions that really have the power to um, transform industries that previously We're not able to be transformed. I think of the medical field. I think of psychology. I think of many other fields where people have not had access to uh, specialist heart surgeons. And now via the mechanism of AI, small little rural hospitals are able to have access to the top surgeons in the world who are guiding them through operations, um, you know, in utero kind of heart operations. Um, so I think that we really do have to accept this is a reality. With AI, we have the opportunity to amplify and define the future of humanity. And to position it as a danger and to live in fear is to miss the expanding opportunities that exist for us in creating meaning and purpose for ourselves. You know, Laura, I think it was with a previous interview from someone from Boston where it was explained how courses these days work. You know, and I mm. think that's what a lot of middle-aged people is that that idea of going back to a class, there's a le- lecture that takes so many weeks, there's the volume of a topic that you need to understand, you'll be tested on that. Should you fail, you need to write a supplementary. You fail that, you go back to the drawing board. Education yeah. doesn't work that way anymore. Those no. lectures are broken down into modules. You can work on that module over and over until you internalize it and understand it before you go on to the next one. So you never need, and you don't need to be the 45 year old sitting in a class of 18 year olds where you're just so out of topic. And that's the, also the advantage that's brought to the fore. And right. another thing as a, as an ex Boston uh, graduate, um, I remember the days of the Xerox truck rocking up at Boston and offloading tons and tons of paper so that we could get study guards and books and things today. When I look at my setup here, I have a printer, but that's ready for my family to use and on a very, very odd occasion. Stuff that I would print out without thinking before because I like the touch and feel of paper, I now don't do. And all of a sudden, I don't have a filing cabinet. I've got Storage in the cloud, that's there. Yes, I've had to ask somebody a lot younger and maybe a lot prettier than me to help me to sort of organize it and get it in place. But once it's there, it's there. And I just had to get over that glass ceiling in my own mind in order yeah. to take ourselves forward. But yeah. we, we, we're running a little bit um, tight on time. Laura, take us through what AI interventions you feel are important for people going forward. Somebody sitting at the workplace starting to get this feeling that these young whippersnappers coming in, they've got a lot of experience, but they might not be on the cutting edge. How do they deal with that trauma? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is a real, um, that's a, that's really something that we should address. And I'll address it just by quickly saying like four general things, if you want to put them in like your cognitive GPS. Um, so firstly, I think if you're sitting behind your computer and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not keeping up here, I would look at the at your company and I would assess the automation potential that exists in your own life, in your team's life, and in your company's life. 
research and analyze your job, uh, determine how susceptible it is to automation, and then identify proactively the routine tasks that can be easily automated and then focus on enhancing the skills that cannot be replicated by AI. So that's number one. Number two is seek industry insights. So look at your industry and look at what's going on. Stay informed with industry trends and reports on the adoption of AI technologies within your industry so that you can understand where AI is making the most impact. Because once you understand that, you can actually anticipate the changes that are going to happen and you can proactively adapt. That's number two. Number three is that you need to explore hybrid roles. So look at your own job and say to yourself, is there an opportunity for me to begin to blend AI with my current job? And how can I use AI to make me more efficient so that I have time left over to do those things that AI can't do, to connect, to demonstrate empathy, to have good communication skills, to be ethical, to be value-driven, Those are things that AI is not going to be doing. So assess your own job and explore how you can actually integrate AI into your own personhood, really. And then number four, I would say, is embrace the opportunity to continuously upskill and reskill in order to stay competitive in your job market and remain relevant in the face of AI disruption. And then that's where, you know, as you've mentioned a couple of times, a place like Boston City Campus, if you're at school, you know, Boston Online Home Education, uh, wherever you're at, you know, phone up and find out what can I do? I'm worried about this. Speak to student advisors, speak to career advisors, and really actually be proactive rather than reactive. Don't wait until you're sitting being retrenched. Actually be proactive by using these four kind of Cognitive GPS points to navigate your way through this AI disruption. Laura, you've obviously hit a point mentioning that you are a mother and technology together because there's a very poignant question that's come through. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. On the line with me is Dr. Laura Fisher, who is the head of institutional advancement at Boston. Laura, the question is like this. From a lady who says she's a pediatrician, um, and her challenge with technology is like this. She says, hi, I'm a pediatrician. I come from a religious background, and I really want my children to embrace technology. The challenge I constantly have is everything else that comes together with it. I don't want to be one of those parents who block my kids' phones to the extent that they might as well go back to dialing the numbers in the lounge. But on the other hand, I really am appalled by the stuff that they are exposed to by simply going online. Please. Yeah. Yeah. I think the question of, I mean, this is a very, very real question. So I am a mom. I have three boys, 15, 14, and 13. So I'm navigating... I've been navigating this question for myself. Um, so a couple of things come to mind. Um, the first thing is that the mantra that I've used in my house 
from when the boys were very little, and that is you only have one life, live it in real time. Because I think you get so sucked in to technology when we're speaking about now phones in particular that children can really lose touch with the real world. And the real world is where real connection happens. And that's where the value of life and our meaning and our purpose is actually found. And it's not that, of course, you can't get some of that from being online. But my my approach is, you know, we need to be focusing on enhancing our communication skills. We need to be focusing on, like, helping our kids to notice the the beauty that exists in the world around them so that they they are they can't resist being in nature um you know they they need to be aware of the collective struggles that we are facing across the world um and so you know there's some very real tangible like keep them grounded in there's one life living in real time and then the second part of the question is i think digital literacy is really the key here. And I know that that is something that they do focus on in schools is actually teaching the kids that you do have access to everything when you go onto your phone, but you don't have to look at everything. You don't have to read everything. You have to be critical. You have to have a set of critical thinking skills that enable you to actually make sound and wise decisions about what you watch, what you listen to, what you like, what you don't like, what you share, what you upload. You know, they really need to be taught these things from quite a young age, and it needs to be an open stream of conversation around what are you looking at? You know, what's interested you that you've read today? Um, And then having the balance of, yes, technology is there, but also there's a beautiful, beautiful world with beautiful people in it. And that is really where we were designed to exist, to coexist in connection, because it's really in connection and collaboration that we find our humanity and our purpose. So I, I mean, I, I empathize deeply with the, with the mother who sent the question. It is a challenge, but I have learned one thing. I'm sounding very old now, but that's okay. Um, and that is you do not take your foot off the pedal. So I say to them, to my boys, if they want to remember me as being militant about what they watch and don't watch, they can remember me like that. If they want to remember me as as limiting their screen time, they can remember me like that. I don't have an issue with that. Um, but with that said, you also have to empower them. And so, I mean, um, this is a, as Bo- the, the head of Boston City Campus, uh, institutional advancements, I just want to say that there are lots of apps out there, um, that will help your kids to be very digitally, digitally literate. And the best one is common sense media, particularly if you have that kind of, um, background where you're wanting to ground your kids in very, very good, wholesome, uh, value-based education and engagement with their uh, with their devices because they can then read up on everything they're going to see in this in this movie and make informed decisions for themselves about whether that's actually what they want to bring into their lives and they need to know what they want to bring in and what they don't. 
Laura, we're out of time, but the questions are coming in thick and fast, and it's all the same question. Is Dr. Laura Fisher client-facing? Can we bring <laughs> our children to Boston and sit with her for guidance? <laughs> it can be organized. Speak to the CEO. <laughs> Laura, no one else can see you because it's radio. Just okay. the presence your sense of energy, your sense of quirkiness that comes across together with the AI understanding and advancement and growth. you just an, an incredible person. I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you, and I really hope that you are able to sit with youngsters and guide them. What you've said as, as a parent is being invaluable, um, especially those last pulls of wisdom. Parents, we need to be brave, we need to be strong, and we need to stick to our guns. Um, and at the same time, we need to be balanced, which is exactly what you come across at. Laura, everything of the best to you. Wishing you and your family well. Thank you to everybody, um, you know, who put this interview together. Please go along to Boston, go along to the website, get involved. And especially those of you who have messaged me privately to Basically express your deep fear of change and reticence to movement because of your age. That doesn't need to be the case. Just like 20 years ago, there wasn't a cell phone and today you carry the latest. You can do the same with so many other things. Dr. Laura Fisher, thank you so much. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. I will speak to everybody next week.